with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. I am your host, Scott J. Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Now, I am a professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. In addition, I'm a husband and father of three teens. Now, this is a family endeavor. Will played the intro, Kate voiced the intro, and who knows, you may hear from Emily a little later. I'm also an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Collegiate Leadership Competition. I love to travel, explore new places with family, and learn from others. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership and followership, if we're honest. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. I am proud to share a few updates. According to Listen Notes, Phronesis is listed as among the top 3% of podcasts in the world because of you. So thank you. In addition, the podcast has two sponsors. First, Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. My second sponsor is the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. At Bowler, we offer several advanced degrees and MBAs, and I'm confident that there's one that will fit your location, interests, and timeline. In fact, our online MBA is ranked as the number one in Ohio and number nine in the United States. We offer international study tours, a contemporary and forward-looking curriculum, and access to senior leaders and flagship organizations. Learn more at business.jcu.edu. You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Okay, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thanks, as always, for checking into the Phronesis podcast, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Today, I have Dr. Hannes Leroy. And he is interested in authentic leadership and how to develop it. And that interest includes not only a passionate and critical view of the concept of authenticity, but his past work also includes a better understanding of its unique outcomes, like safety, error hiding, and work engagement. The antecedents, mindfulness training, and similarities and differences from related concepts like leader behavioral integrity, leader communication, transparency, On the development side, he is passionate about authenticity, both in terms of developing leaders to use their unique or authentic self as a source of their leadership strength, as well as the idea of real, actually moving the needle, leadership development. And I absolutely love that. He is at the Rotterdam School of Management, and I am so excited for this conversation. You have written an article, and this article with a number of colleagues really caught my attention. And for listeners, this is called Walking Our Evidence-Based Talk, The Case of Leadership Development in Business Schools. I have a passion for this topic. I was so excited to see this article. I think a couple years ago, maybe it's a couple years ago, Dave Rush and Ron Riggio and I had put together an article in the Journal of Management Education. And really, I think for that, we looked at maybe maybe it was, quote unquote, the top 25 colleges of business 
and their mission and vision and value statements. And everyone's developing leaders. Everyone's developing leaders. But are we? (laughs) So before we jump into that, what else do people need to know about you, sir? Um, There's so much to say. I mean, I, I try to not only talk about leadership and leadership development, I try to do it. I develop executives worldwide and I try to lead myself because I'm the director of the Erasmus Center for Leadership. And I'm also involved in something we've jokingly started calling League of Leadership, which is this consortium of business schools worldwide who is dedicated to enhancing the credibility of leadership development as as like a big, hairy, audacious goal. One of the personal goals that I am working towards, you know, this is one of those, will I achieve it in my lifetime goals? Can we can we actually certify the profession? I have a TED talk on this where I say, imagine for a moment that people put LDR in front of their name, the same way that DR stands for doctor or ING stands for engineer, and that LDR actually means something, that people are certified and well-developed for the job that they have to do. Because yeah. when I walk into a room full of surgeons and I ask who was trained for the job, everybody raises their hands. <laughs> No, and we certify engineers, doctors, educators, psychotherapy, you know, pretty much any profession out there is certified and leaders are not. So, yeah, this is one of my passions, one of my uh, pet projects. But I, I guess this is something we'll also talk more about in this podcast. Okay, so League of Leadership, is that what you called it? Yeah. I, I could not agree more. I could not agree more. Again, you know, you are training a pilot or you're training a surgeon or you're training anyone who is certified in a craft. Again, to your point, a therapist. And we would not move into a, a process of having surgery done on ourselves if we aren't with someone who's had that level of training. But for some reason in this role, I mean, it's kind of like parenting in a way. There isn't a certification for parenting, but a lot of people are in, engaging in the role of parent. And it's hard, it's difficult, it's challenging. And there's a lot of people, hopefully, who are good people trying to do the work, but not necessarily well prepared for the work. I mean, as you see it all the time, people might be handed a PL and their quality scores or their satisfaction scores and told, go for it. <laughs> and, then, and then they're off, right? And leading, quote unquote. Yeah, it goes relatively unchecked. And I'm sure that, Parents and leaders have good intuitions, don't get me wrong, uh, right? But, you know, that that little bit of extra wisdom that you, you should have got. I mean, I can speak for myself. I've been thrown into leadership positions without adequate training. And I've definitely not been the best leader. I'm happy to admit my own mistakes and realize, like, this could have been prevented if somebody had told me what I now know. To this article, I mean, what's absolutely fascinating to me is the the industrial complex that is built around leadership and leader development. And, and both of us are a part of that. So I think we have to make sure that we situate this in very concrete ways. We're both doing work in organizations. But it is interesting. And this this paper that you've written just highlights the concept beautifully that, you know, is this an evidence-based craft? So would you talk a little bit about the background, the history of this article, the team you put together, because it's an incredible team, and how you were thinking about this as you started on this journey, because it's just a great article. It just is. I'm happy you said that. So 
this article was written by this League of Leadership. So that's where the name comes from. So, so this is a group of people, all dear friends at business schools worldwide. And these were all leadership scholars who are well-established. They've written very impressive works. We came together and we shared this collective passion on like, it's not just enough to know good or effective leadership. We know we have to know how to develop it. You know, Kurt Lewin said, if you really want to understand something, try to change it. Mm. And as much as we focused on leadership as a topic, we have less work on leadership development. There's an opportunity there to develop and to grow that. And so we kind of collectively said like, yeah, let's enhance the credibility of leadership development. And as we started talking, about, it's easy, right? It's easy for us to say, well, the consultants out there mm. should be more evidence-based because leadership development looks a little bit like a wild west, it seems, right? Shoot first, ask questions later. And, you know, any any type of potion can be sold as uh, the next best lead. And there's a lot of money involved in that, right? You can put stuff on the market and make a lot of money claiming that it will develop leaders. I'm just saying there's no evidence to support it. And so it was easy for us to say the consultants out there. But then where are we as universities as a whole? Because we get students for a significant period of time at a crucial moment in their lives. We could really make a difference. But do we? And do we have the evidence to support that we make a difference? And yeah, long story short, our analysis of that data shows we do some things right, but we have a long way to go before we are similar to like a medical science that right can say like, yeah, no, you know, we give our students the state of the art. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, I think it's very easy for us to look at consultants, but we're also doing the work. We're also, quote unquote, engaging and developing leaders. I mean, that's what our schools of business say we do. <laughs> so as you dig deeper, as you dig deeper into this evidence-based world, you found some pretty interesting, and in some cases, I mean, you framed it as an opportunity. It is. It really is an opportunity, but it's also a little bit worrisome. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. <laughs> Even though I realized, you know, by framing the title as, you know, are we walking our evidence-based talk? I, you know, we probably framed it more as like, you know, we have a problem. Every science evolves over time, right? To a point where it says like, no, 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 we need a better understanding. We need certification. We need, right? And so we, we yeah, we found as we dug deeper on like, we, we asked ourselves the question, like, why? Why aren't we already there? And then, you know, there's some really interesting if you define leadership as every soft skill that may happen in your school or university, right, from communication skills to self-management to well-being to da -da 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 -da, you go, 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 go. Yeah, then it's a hard, it's hard to get a handle on that. But there's also some interesting political effects at play, right? When you have more credibility, assumed credibility, because you're a professor and you work in an academic institute and you're supposed to know what you're doing, there's more assumed credibility there. Then actually going in, collecting data and realizing, uh-oh, this doesn't work. Now, I'll, you know, glass half full, there's benefit to actually doing that because you go in, you collect the data, you realize, hmm, I thought I was doing this. I guess I'm doing something else. Let me try again. Let me try again. And over time, you get better and you circle. But we, we don't have that cyclical, you know, learning, uh, which is, which is a, a little absurd because we do hold evidence 
to high standards. That's why we became academic. We just don't apply it to our own teaching. <laughs> a bit of a hypocrisy or, you know, not, not schizophrenia, multiple personality disorder. It's like when it comes to our specialty of expertise, let's say, I don't know, human resource management or whatever, we want the HR managers out there to use our evidence. But then when it comes to our own teaching and we know there's education science, there's science on development. And this is a big part of our lives as professors. If we're really serious that we want managers to adopt our science, why are we not adopting the science of the education people or of the development science? Anyways, you you get what I'm getting at. There's there's room for improvement. Exactly. Exactly. And I think you are you are we are singing from the same songbook. I think it's wonderful that you and your colleagues have put this out there because it it is a very interesting topic. I mean, at, at points in the article in different in different phases, I mean, you could go to if you ask academics, well, what are the results of using classroom-based discussion? 360s, or we could call them instructional strategies, active learning, we could say action learning, we could say any number of what do we know about Kolb and that learning cycle. When you really start digging down, I mean, a lot of the times it's a little bit mixed. A lot of the times we don't have a lot of concrete data or evidence to suggest that these different instructional strategies, that they work. And that's really interesting. I mean, it's to your point, if we were if the Yale School of Management really was producing, quote unquote, world-class leaders, and I'm just picking on Yale because it's the first school that came to mind, but in this list of 25 institutions that we explored, if they were developing leaders and actually moving the needle, they would be holding that data up and those that research up from the top of the mountain saying, we've done it, we've figured it out. And I think yeah. another interesting thing here is that I wonder at times how people are constructing the the definition of leader is a leader because again when you sit back and look at it at least in my college of business we have one graduate course on leadership yet we develop leaders so does that just mean that a leader is a person with one course and then a bunch of courses on accounting and marketing and and finance does that does the conglomerate of all of those other courses plus one class about leadership equal leader is that how yeah. we're defining it because i think it is <laughs> uh well it's a good i mean it's a good question right and this goes back to you know what i said before about the ted talk and the need to certify the profession of leadership because if you do certify it then the Questions is what basic competencies do those people need to be certified in? And, and can you do like an assessment center pre-post to determine like this is the bar? This is the bar that everybody needs to jump. And it's so funny. I, I always have discussions with my colleagues and then they have no problem saying like, yeah, no, they need at least this amount of finance and that amount of marketing. Otherwise, they get. but then when it comes to leadership, like, yeah, but Hannah's hmm, leadership, that's the soft stuff, right? Can we really ask people to have a, a certain amount of emotional intelligence? Can we really have them, you know, be be sensitive to injustice and, and respond appropriately? And I'm like, heck yeah. <laughs> we can. Like, yeah, it's hard. But guess what? You know, some people come in and they're already higher on EQ and this is easier for them. But some people also, also come in 
with low marketing skills and they also are low accounting skills and they also have to work really hard to pass the bar in accounting. Why would it be any different? But that's, it says something, I think, now I'm off on a rant, but it says something about, I think, how we organize these leadership development workshops. It's more, it's oftentimes more self-development. We throw in some things that often have a feel-good nature to it, but not necessarily to the point that we're willing to hold ourselves accountable of saying like, no, we actually develop these skills and my students will demonstrate those skills at the end of term, because that's a high bar. And when you think about it, how when, when it comes to just even skill development, which I think can very much be somewhat of an Achilles heel, let's just go back to a surgeon or a pilot for a moment. You have an individual who has spent hours in the simulator or hours being coached by someone in the other seat or another surgeon who's observing the work that you're engaged in. And there's true skill development. I mean, we could go to Kay Anders Erickson where there's deliberate practice happening, time, repetition, real-time coaching and feedback, working on skills outside of your current ability level. Sometimes if you want to be a heart surgeon for a decade or more, 15 years to really get to the level of working on hearts. Or if you want to fly the 737, you are starting with the Cessna and working your way up. <laughs> you don't start there. And exactly. so to your point, I mean, I think it's it's really interesting because it's a fun, it's a fun conversation. It's a real, I think to your point, the glass half full, I agree. There's an opportunity here. There's a really cool puzzle in front of us. How do we prepare individuals to better serve in these very complex roles? So can I tell you a little bit about this glass half full and some of the initiatives that this League of Leadership has taken? Because one of the critiques that we ourselves kind of voices like we talk about the importance of this stuff, but do we actually do it? Um, and so as a spinoff of this article, there's a few initiatives that came out. So one of the things is uh, the Academy of Management is hosting an award now, uh, the Evidence-Based Leadership Development Award, hmm. where schools worldwide, your school maybe, Scott, if you guys want to apply, can put forward programs. And it doesn't have to be ideal. Right. Some of this will be aspirational. Like we think we develop this. We hope to look, we're going to, we intend to do this. And that's perfectly fine. But showing that willingness to engage in this evidence based management cycle of getting better and better over time. And so every year we're going to have a few finalists, have an award winner. They get their own symposium at Academy. They can present. They will also be assigned a marketing firm who will summarize and integrate and, and communicate about their excellent programs to the world um, such that there is an alternative for students, companies, whoever out there who's like, oh, I need a leadership development program or I'm an MBA. Yeah, sure. I want to make money, but I also want to develop as a person. Hmm, where do I go? Well, right now there's there's little information out there. And so what we're working towards is this website that will highlight all these evidence-based programs with keywords, with, you know, relevant, and then people can search which program really fits with my preferences. We even wrote a book now uh, related to that, a book that's called Strategic Swiping. And it's a, it's a nod and a wink to, to Tinder because we've done research on how companies and students make leadership development selections. And it's often, oh, what, what looks nice? What is like, and oh, swipe, oh, like this, oh, let me try that. 
And so we say strategic swiping in a sense like, hey, there's still going to be swiping going on. We're still going to think like, ooh, this is horse coaching. This sounds interesting. I want to try something like that. Or, ooh, an, an expedition in the Andes. Ooh, that, that's still going to happen. But let's make it a little bit more strategic. And so with this website, we develop a, bo- a book to highlight more. I think the, the title is The Forgotten Questions on Leadership Development, like how to ask better questions, how to get better at leadership development. So there's a host of things that we don't, don't just talk about it in the article, but we're we're doing stuff. And I think that's important that we get off our, you know, or, or out of our ivory towers and, and dare to interact with the real world. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, when you again, when you go back to some of these other domains like medicine, for instance, I mean, the research is close to the work. It's close to the work. And I think at times as 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 management educators or leadership educators, we aren't necessarily close to the work some of the time uh, in the organizations, really, truly engaging. And I, I just have great respect because I think not only have you sounded the alarm, but now you are also trying to elevate and highlight organizations that really are engaged in the work that are trying to learn from what they're learning actually conducting the research and it's that continuous improvement cycle that i think is most important where we truly are going to work where we truly are going to learn i had a great conversation with george banks the incoming editor of leadership quarterly and he suggested you know hey we're going to start accepting proposals ahead of the actual research being conducted. We are going to give someone a conditional acceptance if we have approved the research that they're going to embark on. And then it doesn't matter what the results are. We're going to publish it because that's just as important, that that bias towards only positive results. <laughs> I mean, it's it's limiting us, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 We, we cherry pick the things that then only... Uh... Yeah, I I agree. And even then, there isn't a lot there when you really start looking under the hood. (laughs) And it's, I find, you know, I find that so intriguing. I'll give you a a simple example because people are often like, oh, Hannes, are you asking me to now set up research on my, like, that sounds, you know, that sounds very heavy. Like, I don't have time. I can't even get my papers published and I don't have tenure. What are you asking me to do? I said, like, look, it doesn't have to be so tough. I'll give you a simple example. Mostly in schools, universities, classes are still evaluated on satisfaction scores. Yes. How happy are you with the course? And in most schools, how happy are you with the teacher? Which could almost be a direct measurement of how charismatic is the teacher. And, and you know, without wanting to boast, I can do infotainment. Yes. I think many of us can do inf- infotainment, right? We watch enough TV and movies to know a little bit what keeps people interested, right? Um, to make sure that they don't lose attention. Does that actually develop them as better leaders? There's um, a meta-analysis on Kirkpatrick's model of learning outcomes that suggests that satisfaction scores are null correlated with actual behavioral change and sometimes even negatively correlated with behavioral change. So if we're all aiming for that 4.7 out of 4.7 out of 5 satisfaction score well great but does that mean we're developing leaders but those satisfaction scores will of course not change immediately because you know we are client driven like it, it, it you know it matters in our system but there's simple tweaks you can do so here's a, here's an example i heard from one school 
rather than just asking, were you happy with the teacher? What are the learning objectives? What do you expect these people to like? Well, I expect them to be better at emotional intelligence. I expect them to be better at having courageous conferences. I expect them. Okay, great. Those are your eight learning objectives. Now slide that into that satisfaction survey at the end. Yes. Where it's not just about how happy were you, but on these eight very concrete things, do you feel like you actually now improved? They're better than before. Well, now it's going to get interesting. And you're going to see as a professor, you may, may still meet the infotainment satisfaction score, but you're going to see like, hmm, out of the eight, only three, I hit the mark. Well, that's weird because I spent four classes on this and they're not putting, I'm going to need to go back. I'm going to need to see what tweak I can do. And sometimes that's the thing, right? Sometimes it's just a little tweak. It doesn't have to be a lot, right? It's like, oh, but I should change my assignment or they should translate this better or or more transfer whatever it is and there's then you start a cycle so i say this to all the program directors who are in charge of evaluating for the love of god let them set learning objectives and then measure those and now you can have a meaningful conversation with your professor yes what is happening what you know and it doesn't have to be hard your that system is already in place okay and 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 rant Okay, so you're making me think now too. I mean, I, I'm so excited for, let's say, I, I teach a course on technologies enabling disruption. So every week in this course, we're discussing machine learning, we're discussing blockchain, sensor technology, AR, VR, we're, touch, we're touching on all of these different, not all of them, but a number of different technologies enabling disruption. And we're going to get to a point, I think, where we're going to be able to start more readily employing learning opportunities that are a simulator. How did someone behave? We got into that simulator, the Mission to Mars simulation. I'm going to be learning about that tomorrow. Some folks at INSEAD, this Mission to Mars VR experience. Well, now we have actual concrete data as to what people said, how they responded, what they were paying attention to, what was in the background, what was in the foreground. And I think we can we can leverage some of these technologies to do some pretty interesting things so that it gets to more of a simulator. It gets to, not that that will by any means replicate the real world, but from a behavioral standpoint, are we moving the needle as well and getting some concrete data? I mean, I think there's just a lot of cool opportunity in the future. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. And these things like simulations and, and, and you know, if you get like, coaches or shadow coaches observing people there's so much more that we can do to the point that your assessment of whether or not the training works becomes part of the development this is they invented the word for it it's called the development center it integrates assessment with development and this is what we're good at we're academics we're good at assessing measuring is pretty much what we do so why not integrate that in your coursework and show that you're actually moving the needle and, and moving the ascent? Yeah, I, I, I like that idea. Yeah, for, for sure. Yeah. Hannes, before we wind down, what else is kind of on your radar recently? What has you excited and intrigued and curious? Anything? It could be something else along this lines, or it could be something tangential that has you cooking right now. I just came back from the NDLR conference. It's New Directions in Leadership Research. It's a collaboration between RSM, INSEAD, Darden, Duke, 
and uh, Michigan. Many, many interesting conversations. And, and there was, I had a conversation with Nathan Hiller of Florida International University, also runs a leadership center there. And they're very well known for their leadership development. And as GP Peter Gulieri would say, there's some value in capitalism in the sense like people keep coming back again and again. There seems to be something that they're doing right. So I was asking Nathan about that. And what he mentioned, I, I've been I've been stuck with that in mind. He called, he he described the concept of tweaking. It's like, look, when when you develop leaders, sometimes we're like, you need to learn a new habit, you need to learn a new skill, or you need new mindsets. Like, we like to think big in leadership development, but he said, like, I think one of the reasons why people come back to our programs is we tweak. We say, like, no, 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 don't change who you are. Don't try to add on things that, you know, that will take you months to retrain. Look at your situation and just apply smart little tweaks. Yeah. Right. So I'll give you an example. Right. And the the viewers won't see this unless they Google me, but I'm a bald guy. And we know there's some research out there that that bald guys tend to be seen as more aggressive. It has something to do with testosterone. There's an LQ article on it. Yeah. Always a joke that I go back to, but it is true. Like in my communication, I'm a, I'm a very passionate, bald, intense guy. And so I realize I come across as sometimes as aggressive or assertive, but the people who have worked long with me know I'm really just a loyal puppy, but people won't know that. So what is my, what is my tweak? Am I suddenly going to be the most compassionate? Per- like, no, I have a very simple tweak, which is. When I meet new people, like I'm meeting you today, Scott, I tell them, like, don't let my passion and enthusiasm and bald head fool you. I may come off strong, but make make no mistake, I, I, I really do care about people. And and you, you see that, like, it's it's a simple tweak. And this may be the catalyst of, for example, me becoming more empathic. Because the more that I say it, the more that I'm realizing of how I come up... But it's simple tweaks like that that can have an immediate effect for leaders out there that then over time. And so I've been I've been super intrigued about this concept. So I want to explore it more, see what those tweaks are and 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 how we how that could really accelerate leadership development. Well, I, it makes me think a little bit of BJ Fogg or James Clear, some of the the atomic habits or uh, little baby tiny habits. <laughs> There's a lot of different names for, you know, these little micro. And I just had a conversation with a, a guest a few weeks back. His expertise is transfer of training. And he's been studying it for 30 years at Indiana oh, University. Wow. And 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 he that aligns very closely with what you just said. His thoughts, his takeaway was look, small, small tweaks, small adjustments that people can build upon versus to your point, these grandiose, you know, authentic leader, servant leader. I mean, it sounds big. <laughs> it's huge. But this, there's, I remember this case study by Dan Silver, congressional candidate. They had this person who was incredibly competent to be a senator, but wasn't really warm. And you need warmth, you need empathy. Right. They could change this person. They could have them take acting classes and tear up. And this, this. But there's just a little thing that they did. They, they watched videos of this guy and they saw that every time that the guy brought up his kids, 
His whole face lit up. He showed more empathy and so forth. So what did they tell him? Every time you do a speech, weave your son into there, right? Talk a little bit about your son. And then it oh. worked. Clear, right? Don't change. Don't. Already there. But we're exactly. just tapping into it. And all of a sudden there's a shift, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just like your example. You are a loyal puppy. It's there. But <laughs> people might not see that. So you tap into it and all of a sudden it totally reframes people's experience with you, right? Yeah. Let's talk again in a few years. Maybe then I'll I'll have more data and more thinking around it. But this, you asked for the most recent thing and I got really intrigued what, what Nathan told me and I, I'm going to pursue it further. I love it. Well, sir, thank you for the good work that you're doing. It's It's valuable. It's important. And it's moving us forward. And again, I'm going to put a link to your information. I'm going to put a link to that article in the show notes. And thank you so much for challenging us to think differently, to do better, and to go new places. I think it's incredibly valuable. And I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. And and I would love to have you back so that we can continue this conversation. Maybe we can get the whole league here. We'll get just all 30 of them. <laughs> I'm happy to make I'm happy to make introductions if uh, if that would serve you for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, be well. All right, bye Scott. What a really really interesting conversation and long-time listeners will know I have great respect for anyone who's trying to push the boundaries, explore, try something new, get us somewhere different. And he and the League of Leadership are doing just that. So, Dr. Leroy, thank you very, very much for the work that you're doing. Uh, keep challenging us to do better, and I truly, truly enjoyed the conversation. Take care, everyone. Hope you have a couple things to think about as you continue on with your day. As always, thank you so very much for checking in. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn, so let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.